Hear the word of God from Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verses uh, 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Waypoint family. I'll try that again. Good morning, Waypoint family. I love it. You know, I've been saying that term, that that good morning Waypoint church family for about seven years now here at Waypoint. And it reminds me that, and I say it intentionally because it reminds me that you all are actually my family. It helps calm my nerves, you know, because I'm like, I'm speaking to family, so I'm not as nervous as when I get up here to preach. It brings connection and intimacy when we come together because it's not just a random group of people I'm speaking to. It's people whom I love, care for. It brings a sense of urgency in my preaching because it is people whom I love and care for. So I want to say, when I say good morning, church family, when I say good morning, Waypoint family, know that all that is going on in my mind That's what's behind those words. But this week, those words of church family has honestly meant a little more to me. It's been a tough week. Um, the shootings in Atlanta brought out trauma and hurt in, in a way that I wasn't actually quite ready to deal with and wasn't really prepared for. And as I was reading news and processing what had happened and what was going on, as, as my Facebook f- uh, feed was being flooded and Twitter and everything like that, um, as I was trying to process it all and emotionally feel it all and see what's going on, my family reached out to me. Someone from the church texted me. And another person from the church texted me. And someone called me. And someone emailed me. And every moment, everywhere I turned, there was people caring and reaching out. Then on Thursday night, our family from the church gathered together in prayer. Now, it was over Zoom, so there, weren't the, the, there wasn't all the hugging and love as we can normally physically express. But even over Zoom, there was weeping. Uh, there was praying and there was loving each other. People who felt and shared my pain so that my burden and so many others' burdens was, was made lighter. And I love you all. I say that for those who aren't a part of Waypoint's family, you're like, oh, this is weird. He just told me he loved me. It's okay. I'm sorry. Please get over the awkwardness. If you, can, you might be like, okay, just, he's not talking to me. That's okay. But Waypoint family, I just want to say how much I love and appreciate you. It's meant so much to know that even for those who don't understand, we had people in our church who were like, I have no idea what you're talking about because my Facebook said none of that stuff. I had no clue. And they, but they wanted to patiently listen and hear and care. It was so powerful to have people on Zoom just literally weeping and crying and other people were like, oh, I don't know what's going on. They're crying, but okay, I, my brother and sister is crying, so I care now. And it means so much. So I just want to say, I love you, and I love the family we have here. And that's truly what we are. We're out of order in our sermon series. We've been in the book of Matthew through the book of Isaiah, kind of looking at the book of Matthew through the lens of the book of Isaiah. And actually, we're we're like, well, the scripture reading, though, was backwards. This is not where we're at. And we intentionally did this when we set up our sermon series, because we wanted for this specific sermon to be less of a sermon and more of a testimony time. 
Because we feel like a sermon on the family of God is powerful and the word is good, but we also wanted you to hear what it meant to hear from our people, what it meant for them to be considered family of God and how it moved them. And so we were a little out of whack, so if you're wondering, why are we going backwards in Matthew when we've, we're already at, past this point in Matthew, that's the reason why. Because we wanted you to hear a testimony of what it means to be a part of the family of God. And that's what we are. And I know it's a tough concept. It's an intriguing and very difficult concept for us to understand being called family, especially in our Western philosophy, kind of our Western worldview we belong into right now. There's a quote from a book called When the Church Was a Family. It says this, we in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, for example, to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. So we leave and withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in the church or in the home. The influence that a radically individualistic worldview exerts on American evangelical Christians goes a long way to explain the struggles we face to keep relationships together. I believe the Bible calls us to live a radically different way than this philosophy. And so what we're looking at, the passage today, gives us profound insight into the way we're called to live. And it's an interesting passage. It's a weird passage. It's a way of looking at Jesus, and you're like, what? I feel like we've done a lot of those passages in Matthew in the series. Like, there's passages like, why did Jesus say that? Or, I don't get that. Or, I wouldn't say that if I was Jesus. And here's Jesus in this passage read that Jesus was teaching when his family arrived. His mother and brothers stood outside and wanted to talk to him. And in that culture, remember, family was a huge deal, even bigger than now. It was an honor and shame culture in which it means always important to bring honor to your family and to never have them lose face. So family loyalty and honor were big priorities and everyone knew it. There's actually three things that were true of families back then. This is from the book from Culture and History of the Ancient Near East. And it says the group comes first. In the social world of the early Christians, the survival and health of the group took priority over the needs and desires of the individual. Two, it was all about family. The extended uh, patrilineal family system was the group to which a persons in the Mediterranean antiquity expressed primary relational allegiance. Three, I am my brother's keeper. The closest same generation family bond in the New Testament world was a bond between consanguine, sanguine siblings, which means more blood siblings. And so this was kind of true for families back then. It was important. So for Jesus to make this statement, it really stood out. And there are many differences to this today, but some of the things remain the same. I mean, the reality is that our families have priority in our lives over all other relationships, typically. I mean, if my boys needed anything, I'm moving heaven and earth for them. If my mother came to me right now and needed help, you better believe I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to help my mother out. And when Jesus' family show up, you'd want him and you'd expect him to go out and do the same thing. In all honesty, I'm in the middle of preaching right now. If you came up to me, if Ryan came up to you, running up to me, he's Lawrence, um, someone's outside, he wants to talk to you right now. During the middle of my sermon, I'd be like, okay, yo, wait. We'll do it after, we'll talk after the sermon. But if he came up to me right now and said, hey, your mom's outside, she needs you right away. I'm going to be like, okay, bye. And you'd get that, right? I'm like, whoa, my mom's here? She's in Florida, what's she doing here? She's good. If you came up to me and told me that Gina right now was like, hey, Lawrence, right now, I need you right now. I'd be like, okay, bye. Gina knows I'm preaching, but she needs me right now. I'm going to go. Because familial relationship is that important to us. You would understand it. That's the way we normally operate. We all place first priority on those who are closest to us. And we prioritize those that are closest to us. Typically, that means we prioritize our family because that's who are the closest relationships to us. 
But look what happens in this passage, in this text. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. Now, it's hard to capture how truly shocking this would have been back then. I mean, when you think about it, it's so shocking to us today. We still kind of like, Jesus, why are you rude? Just go talk to your mom. What's wrong with you? Jesus valued his relationship with his disciples more than he valued his relationship with his family. And that, like, hear me when I say this. This just did not mean that Jesus was a terrible son. This does not mean that he did not care for his mother. Don't forget in John 19 at the cross, he literally, at the moment of his death, said, hey, mom, this is your son now. Son, take care of this. This is your mom. He made sure that his mother was taken care of. He was a passionate, compassionate child and a compassionate son who loved his mother. Jesus wasn't putting his family down in this passage. He was intentionally making a statement. He was elevating the importance of his spiritual family. In the kingdom of God, our spiritual family becomes more important than our physical family. I know that's a tough statement to hear. That's a weird statement to hear. But it's also life-saving in this way. See, if you think about who's your family, if you're a follower of Christ, then your answer is found here. It's, it's, it's the one who does the will of God. It's, it's your new brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a new family. And I want to clarify what this means first. This isn't a metaphor or a figure of speech. Jesus isn't saying, hey, we're like family. Like, we're kind of like a family. We're like a family here. He's speaking a reality. Let me say that again. He's not giving you a metaphor. He's not giving you a figure of speech. He's like, we're kind of like a family. He's not giving you one of those. He's literally saying, no, our new reality, who you are, what we are, is we are family. In fact, Jesus said that your family more than your physical one. This is, this is more important. This takes precedence. And it would be very important to us to understand this because when those who follow Jesus would often have to give up their physical families. A couple of chapters earlier, Jesus says this, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against their mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves her father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves her son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 36. It's just earlier. He's literally saying, you will probably and you will and you could lose your family over me. So then what's more important? Because if family is the most important thing, then that doesn't make sense. He's saying a new family is yours. That is bigger and better. In Matthew 19, Jesus knows that his followers would lose their families because of him if they had chose to follow him. And this happens even today all around the world. Verse 29, chapter 19 says, And everyone who has loved house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Here's the promise. Those who've lost brothers and sisters or fathers or mothers for Jesus' sake will receive a hundredfold. What does that mean? It means that both in this life and the next, you have a bigger and better family than you had. Guys, you might have a great family. You might have the best parents and the best brothers and sisters. And guys, you might also have the worst family. You might have been orphaned or you might have family that you maybe wish you had been orphaned. Either way, the family that you have as a follower of Christ is even better and can never be taken away from you. Guys, this is a new reality, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of understanding relationships and priorities and understanding who you are as an identity. Guys, I know there's people in this room who've been hurt so radically by their family. I also know there's people in this room that your family is the best thing that's ever happened. 
Either way, it's not a putting down of your reality of your familiar relationships. It's not even overlifting it. It's putting it in the right perspective that the family that you have as a follower of Jesus is bigger and more real. It says blood is thicker than water, right? That phrase, the spirit is thicker than blood. And the spirit is what makes us family. And this great family, this incredible family, is, is a better reality for us. It changes where we face and live life now. It's actually one of the reasons the church grew so fast in the Roman culture and the Roman Empire. People saw the solidarity of the church, the sharing of resources, the loyalty to each other, and it changed everything. One Roman emperor named Julian the Apostate complained about the Christian church. This is a Roman emperor complaining about the Christian church, and this is what he said. Why do we not observe that it is, that it is their Christian's benevolence to strangers they care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism. When the impious, impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. In other words, this, this emperor is literally saying, do you not see that it's because of the way they live and they care for other people that they see that what we're, we don't do? They literally care for people because they saw people living like family, people from different races, ethnicities, and culture. They lived like family, and it radically stood out in the Roman Empire. And they were loving. They took care of the graves and the dead of other people. They cared for people. They gave them resources. They fed people. They went to the hurt people, the broken people. And they said, oh, wait a minute. I love you like family. And all of a sudden, he said, wait, wait, you love me better than my parents do. You love me better than my culture does. You love me better than my people group does. You love me better than my friends do, my brothers do. What is this family? And it exploded. Christianity exploded because people lived like family. They lived in the new reality that was theirs. My people, do you see that you have a family that loves you and cares for you and is there for you? No, this family is not perfect. Not at all. And no family is. We all have those weird aunts and uncles. And if you don't know who that is in your family, it might be you. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. You can be the weird uncle and the weird aunt. It's fun to be the weird uncle and the weird aunt sometimes. Right? You can say goofy statements and make really bad jokes and goofy jokes and just laugh at yourself and the kids will still be like... You're kind of weird, uncle. And you're like, that's cool. That's what I plan on being. I have a bunch of nieces. And I want to be that uncle that just, like, just says like, the worst cheesy jokes of all time. That's what I want to be known as, a cheesy joke uncle. But you know what? They'll still know that I love them. And my nieces are going to know that I love them and that they're part of family. Guys, we can be messed up, imperfect people in this family together. As long as our family knows that they are family they belong, they're loved, they're pursued, they're worthwhile, and they're children of God. I'm okay with that. This is who we are. This is who we are as family. This is our new identity, our new reality, our new situation, our new status. Guys, can I just clearly just say this over and over again? What a blessing it is to be a part of family. Now, we live in a place in our society, and specifically the Raleigh Durham, Chapel Hill, Triangle area. It has a lot of transientness, right? It's not typical, it's not the same. Typically the family structure, back in the day used to be you grew up in one city, you stay in the same city, you have like aunts and uncles and grandparents, and you're like, oh, nowadays, you know, that doesn't happen as much. Can I tell you something, that in this place, in this time, in this church, in this reality, that you have grandparents who want to pour into you. And grandparents, you need to be pouring into the people. That you have older brothers and you have older sisters that want to help you and mentor you. 
That you have fathers for those who feel fatherless. That you have mothers for those who've lost a mother. That you have uncles and aunts. Some of them might be weird. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But they want to love you as a family. Once again, we're not perfect. Not by any means. But we're family under Christ. And how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. But we live in that reality. You see, guys, the the purpose of today's message, as I express family, is that we wanted to have a time of of testimony sharing. So we have two recorded testimonies that was kind of like the main thrust of what today's going to be. So I invite you to watch um, these testimonies. I have a kind of a complicated background. So when people ask me, you know, like, oh, you know, where are you from? It's one of those things where I'm kind of hesitant to give them the answer because it's a, I have to explain a lot of different things. But uh, what I would say is that I grew up uh, overseas in, in Hong Kong, which was a, a British colony or a crown colony is what they called it. Um, and uh, I grew up in kind of a, a very kind of an exclusive community for expatriates. So that in itself was sort of putting me in one group and then and then there was really the other 98% of the population in another group. Uh, so kind of growing up with that kind of demographic you know difference um, was was very obvious in my life um, the um, the other element of I guess was just kind of growing up in a, in a mixed-race family so have a, a Chinese mother uh, an American father uh, white and um, kind of yeah just just kind of growing up with with, with that growing up with Another sort of element that kind of complicates things is just growing up with a religious background. I grew up in the Jewish faith. Really, around me was was really uh, Buddhism and, and just and, and just uh, everything. That, like ninety again, like ninety eight percent of the population, ninety nine percent of the population was different from me. So, so I guess that's sort of my background. Really, I'm I've been sort of non in the non majority group for 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 every aspect of my life, whether it's religion, whether it's um, you know, race, uh, being biracial, uh, and whether it's uh, demographics. So there was actually one group I did fit into, and it's not a group I really wanted to be part of. And this was sort of in high school how you have all these different factions. You have like the jocks, and you have like the artists and the musicians, and um, and, and really I was not athletic, and I really wasn't any of these other categories. So I got put in what in modern terms is I guess called the nerds. Uh, Back then, I was just referred to as the rejects, which sounds terrible, and it is terrible. Um, And and it's not a group you wanted to be part of. And so I I guess really not having any kind of identity or or, or having an identity, but I certainly didn't like the identity I was given. Uh, And that was sort of a theme that that, that kind of sort of I, I, I was I was with or, or I had kind of growing up which was I'm not really part of any group and the one group I am part of I don't really want to be part of uh, and, and not really having that identity um, and then going to college thinking okay well I could just start again no one knows who I am <laughs> and and uh, realizing that okay fine you know I've, I've I, I'm, I'm here but I was a foreigner so so then I did have an identity and again it wasn't something I wanted to have I, I wanted to fit in I really wanted to be part of a group and and, and for the first two years I, I really had a lot of culture shock and I had a lot of adjustment I that I had to make a lot of adjustments I couldn't you know what wasn't easy I, I wanted to leave I wanted to go back to Hong Kong um, and 
after it took me about two years, what I figured out in, in those two years was, hey, maybe I should find ways to assimilate. And so I joined a social fraternity so desperate to fit in to American university culture and, and that was the epitome of American university culture for better or worse that's what it was and what that amounted to was a lot of drinking and partying and things like that that I really wasn't comfortable doing uh, but I was so again so desperate to to fit in uh, to a group uh, to have an identity uh, to have friends and, and you know all of that and so I became part of that culture I assimilated into part of that culture but the sort of the nagging questions never really kind of got away from me which were you know what am I doing here why am I like I had questions of purpose that kind of started back when I was in high school what's the meaning of my life and, and all of those kinds of things and so that was a that in addition to you know finding a sense of purpose in addition to finding a group and identity were sort of these questions that, that plagued me for, for since my teenage years I, I kind of met up with some people who were Christians on campus who were doing a Bible study and this was like my, my sophomore year and it was one of those things where I didn't want my fraternity brothers to know I was going to a Bible study because I mean the two fraternity life and Bible study are like at opposite at least for for me were, were two different extremes and so I was like kind of like Nicodemus like secretly I would go once a week to this Bible study or I'd ask the, my fraternity brothers to drop me off sort of at a location that you know for, sort of a couple blocks away from the where I'd meet these people for Bible study so I could go do the Bible study <laughs> and I was really curious about Christianity uh, even as a Jew, I, I had met some Christians growing up uh, that really intrigued me. It was like a curiosity for me. Uh, there was a missionary who actually worked for my father. Uh, we had a housekeeper who was a believer, and so they'd been praying for our family in Hong Kong, and I, I didn't know any of this, of course, but it was, but they had a very big impact on my life as far as they lived a life that, that created a lot of curiosity in me, and so that curiosity made me open to at least meet with other Christians who were going through a Bible study. And uh, it, to be honest with you, it's a, it was a two-year process. Uh, it wasn't like I read a passage, I went to a Bible study, and then the next day I became you know, a Christian. It was really a two-year process of me sneaking out and going to uh, <laughs> these Bible studies and, and learning and hearing the gospel uh, for the first time. I'd never heard the gospel. I'd read, familiar somewhat with the Old Testament, but, but not at all with the gospel and and for that to become real just sort of um, I had like a trigger event where I was in a relationship with a with a woman uh, a girl at the time and when that ended that kind of triggered a lot of questions in my life and um, about you know the, the meaning of happiness and the meaning and purpose and things like that and so um, I became a Christian because one night I was it was Halloween I remember because uh, I was in my apartment by myself and the lights were off I turned off all the lights so I didn't want kids knocking on my door I was really depressed really trying to process all of this uh, the breakup and then just all these other questions that were always kind of hanging over me and I remember it wasn't a planned thing I just remember getting down on my knees and said God I, I just don't know what I'm doing with my life and I just started bawling I, again I just really didn't know what was going on um, I, I didn't know a lot of the Christian terminology about like uh, altar calls and you know giving your life to Jesus and all of that all I knew was I was very broken and I just said Jesus and I just cried out Jesus I don't know exactly who you are I know I've read about you if and I, but I believe 
you are who you say you are. You know, that you forgive, you, you, can, you can take my sins and you forgive my sins. And I will, I will follow you for the rest of my life because obviously I've been following whatever I think is right and I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of made a mess of my life. I'm going nowhere. Uh, and so that was sort of my conversion point or experience. And then I went to sleep. Um, the next morning I woke up and I've never, I felt like, there was like a weight on my chest. If you've ever been depressed, it feels like you have a weight on your chest. And I felt like that had just disappeared. And 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 I felt and replaced with just this joy. And it was, I didn't understand what this was. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I didn't know what being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know any of these terms. I just knew that one day I was crushed. I felt like the weight of the world on my chest. And the next day, just this this joy and and and, and i knew it was obviously related to the prayer i prayed and, and so i i wanted to start singing but i didn't know any christian songs or really hymns again i don't have that upbringing uh so but i knew you know he's got the whole world in his hands and so i just kept singing that over and over and over i'm going to class i'm singing that i'm humming that i don't know uh, I'm just so full of joy and so full of thankfulness that I've given my life to the Lord and I'm walking with Him for, for the rest of my life. And there was just a peace about that and a joy. And um, yeah, and so that was that was my sort of conversion or salvation experience, if you want to call it that. And I, again, I, I look back at that and, and I honestly didn't understand all the, the theological implications per se. Um, I actually thought maybe I've gone crazy. I'm not sure. But uh, obviously, you know, in retrospect, you're talking to other people. People are like, no, you've given your life to the Lord, and you know this is this is this is what this looks like. It's like, oh, okay, okay. So, so that's that's my story. I'd always wrestled with depression on and off, and I, it doesn't mean that I never get sad anymore, or I never have trouble, or you know, problems you know don't seem to bother me. They do, but the baseline, the fundamental baseline, is that I always have Jesus. I can always turn to Jesus. Jesus doesn't promise to take away all my problems uh, instantaneously, but He does promise to walk with me, and, and, and I can always turn to Him. And so, having Jesus in my life as that. Just, just, just there for me is is amazing. Uh, you know, I've never fallen to the depths that I think that I had fallen to before I'd known Jesus. I can be who God created me to be, and I can be who who I am. This was this was something that. Uh, in, in other words, I don't have to conform my identity to be part of a group, or I don't, you know, I don't have to take up drinking and partying or whatever, whatever extremes I had to do just to fit in. Because I'm in, I'm part of this of the body of Christ. And I kind of noticed, I don't know what point I noticed this, but we as Christians are all, you know, we're all kind of broken and we're all kind of a little bit awkward and, and a bit strange. But that's cool. Like there's no there's no criteria like to be. You know, you need to be this way, you know, or that way. You know, you can come as you are and and and, and follow the Lord and, and love the Lord and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I love the fact that I had a great example of a, of a child of God and my mother. I'm so glad for that. But it was shelter. And there was no father figure on the other side. And it was so hard for us that my mother had to dedicate a lot of her time to try to support the family. So even though I was sheltered by the spirit of Christ and my mother, as soon as that umbrella left and I went to college at A&T State in 86, I began to experience the world 
unadulterated. You know, now I'm thinking outside of what I've already grew up in, and I started to behave like people around me. It, that set the stage for many other things later to come. So, after having him met, Patrick and I began the fellowship here and began to attend here. COVID struck. For me, I just didn't connect enough with this community, which is why I see the value in the community and the family here at Waypoint now. But uh, I slid back and, and I relapsed and I was back out there in the darkness again. And it was the oddest experience. I was laying on my bed in my apartment in Chapel Hill because I had moved from Dorothy Chapel Hill and I had left the Oxford Health System. And COVID struck me and I felt like, you know, the word of God says, no man is an island, you know? And, and I remember Pastor Danny always talking about, don't try to be self-sufficient. You know, I got this, everything is good. And I remember him sharing those scriptures and, and, and talking about being self-sufficient. And that's what happened to me. I felt isolated. Notice I said I felt isolated. And COVID just hit at a time where the VA, my, my, my health care was sporadic. It wasn't, it wasn't constant. And I slid back, completely back into darkness. I got a phone call and it was actually in the form of a text. And it was Pastor Lawrence. And the only thing he said, it's so hard for me to talk about this because I, I, I see and I sense the love of God in everything that happens. And again, he reached out to me through Pastor Lawrence. And he says, do you, Pastor Lawrence said, do you want me to come and get you? I still have that text in my phone. Do you want me to come and get, get you? I don't care what you're in, how you feel. I just want to know, can I come and get you? You know, and at that time in my life, because I had tasted of the goodness of God and I had fellowship with so many people here at Waypoint, I felt so ashamed and lonely that I would go back to where I came from. So for somebody, even in the midst of that, to say, hey, I don't care what you look like, what you smell like, what you're doing, can I come and get you? The love of God surpasses all of those things that I was stuck in, that I had convinced myself and built a wall around me of shame and guilt. And, and, and self-loathing and, and it, it broke that wall and I made a decision that day that I would reach back and I did and I thank God for that so it was powerful for me and it transformed my thinking you know because I know it's ultimately it's not about me but I got the taste of goodness of God the love of God in action you know having such a great cloud of witnesses here at Waypoint, we walk in the spirit, we live in the spirit, we worship in the spirit and truth. That's one of the greatest things that empowers me to be who I am today is that, you know, I can clearly see where I was, where I was in despair, where I was in, in, in not just a feeling of darkness, but it was like utter darkness. I was physically bound, you know, by my addiction by my thinking, mentally bound. Um, and to see God swoop down, you know, and just deliver me, cut me through, you know, and, and give me freedom. And when I say that, he did it through communion. 
You know, it's one thing to say, go and be well. It's another thing to step down in the community and say, hey, brother, here, come walk with me. Let me show you something. You know, let me help you with this. You know, and, um, but what I can say is I believe in God over a period of time, in 40 years from the time that I accepted Christ until the time I turned 54 last year, God was working on my heart, molding and melding me into the child that he wanted me to be. And it's a long, grueling process, but it doesn't have to be. I fought him most of those 40 years, <laughs> you know, but thank God that it said that the love of God covers a multitude of sins. You know, it was so easy for me to walk in this community and exist in this community because of the love of God that was really exemplified in this community. There was no judgment. There were people who were really sincerely willing to come alongside of me and assist me in bearing my burdens so that I can get to that cross, so that I can get to that throne and lay before God and say, Lord, here's my issue. You know, and, and that's what I needed at that time. I think about what Paul said, and it may not even be applicable, but Paul says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you to think that you began this thing in the spirit, you're now trying to obtain it by natural means. You know, here I am, that the peace of mind that I had, the solidarity of heart that I had, came from walking with true believers in Christ, living and loving, just like the word called us to do in a community. For being part of a Christian community, like a real community. So I say that because 2020 was a hard year for a lot of us. Um, I think it hit me especially hard. I. Um, I may have shared in a blog that you know I actually I actually had COVID, and what that obviously that was 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 pretty upsetting in itself. But what was amazing was how the body of Christ kind of came around and really supported my family, uh, prayed for us absolutely, but also practically. I mean, there were people still delivering meals to our door, you know, socially distanced, whatever, six feet and all that. And and you would think like as a person with COVID, most people just treat you like the leper, like they don't want anything to do with you. But there were still people coming dropping off food, um, you know, even talking to me, again, distanced, uh, you know, and all of that. And it really just, it really touched my heart. I was like, wow, you know, I'm really part of a real community here, not just people who say, you know, you're in our thoughts and prayers, <laughs> but like, we really care. Another time something like that happened, um, so I, and I ended up losing my job to co because of COVID. Um, and again, people just kind of at the, at the church kind of rallied around and, and supported me. Um, I, uh, a couple years ago when the church in its early stages, I had lost my job. And at that point, I, I really didn't have any kind of backup plan or any kind of severance pay. And, and, and the church, you know, found a way to support and buy our groceries at least for a month, you know, and, and help me practically. And what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is this is a real community this is a real thing this is not a theoretical construct like the body of christ is a real practical you know at least I, as i've experienced here and, and i just I, i'm just so thankful for that and being part of this this community i feel like a lot of what i experience here is and i hate to use this term but a lot of people say where the rubber meets the road this is where we stop having idealism about what a christian is this is where you actually, be. this is where I actually learned to be a Christian. You know, how to worship God in spirit and truth, how to live in a community and be responsible and accountable for who I am as a child of God, you know, without judgment. That's critical. 
So you know, my whole life, I've been looking for uh, a place where I, I could belong, a place where I could fit in, uh, and, and, and I couldn't do it with, with all these other, for whatever for various reasons, based on my skin color, or based on my, my background, or, or even my religious background, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't do it. Um, and that unity, I even thought there was a unity in, in things like fraternities and social, social groups and things like that, only to find that those relationships were very limited. When I stopped partying and stopped doing all that stuff, they stopped being my friends, really. And my point is there's a superficiality to even the, the, the groups that we do form, you know, even if it is around, you know, ethnic or whatever lines. But there is no superficiality around being part of the body of Christ and, and being uh, in, in, in communion with, with, with everyone here as, as a believer. Uh, I never, again, like I never have to be someone I'm not. I can just be who I am and, and I'm welcomed. And, and I would say to that person, you, you know, if you would walk with Jesus Christ, you know, you would feel that same welcome. I just want to say that I am truly, truly satisfied and happy internally and externally to be a member here at Waypoint. The family has shown me nothing short of what it is to love like Christ, to live like Christ. And I didn't say that it's a perfect family, but I know that it's a family that serves a perfect Savior. And I'm so glad to be part of that. Um, I hope you got something out of that as we hear those testimonies. The reality is, is our new identity in Christ. For those who've accepted him, those who've accepted the free gift that he offers up of his body and his death upon the cross, this free gift of salvation, of a loving relationship. For those who accept, and I urge you to do so, if you haven't done so, if you don't know who Jesus is, I urge you to consider Consider what it means to know and to be known and to be loved and to be called to purpose. Consider what it means to be called into family together. Does not something in your soul and in your heart yearn for it? And that's you. This is a different time. If you're over live stream or if you're even here, please make sure you come and grab one of the pastors, talk to somebody because they love, they love nothing more than to share Jesus with you. Because when you found bread that is satisfying and water that is, will quench your thirst, you can't help but want to share it with everybody. And it brings you into family. Guys, that's what we're called to live as family. I love how it ends in Matthew. says, those who do the will of the Father. It's not a, if you do the will, then you're family. It's not like that. It's descriptive of those who are family. They do the will of the Father. Does that make sense? It's not if you do the will of the Father, then you get family. Because Jesus did all the work that's necessary for family. He did all of it. It's not up to you. There's no skill, no trait, no test, no anything that you need to pass. You just need to accept Jesus' free gift and be part of the family. But I want you to get this, is that but those who do the will, in other words, if you are a part of the family, what you will do is the will of the Father. So my people as a family, as a family beloved of God, May we do the will of the Father. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you. God, how great is the love that you have lavished upon us and we should be called the children of God and that's what we are. You've built us up as a household of faith. You've called us family. So now the fatherless have a father. 
how the brotherless and sisterless have brothers and sisters. God, now we know we have multitude more than we could ever hope for or imagine. We're called to something greater. We're part of something bigger. God, you know us. You love us. You called us to purpose together as a family. And so together as a family, we want to bless your name. Together as a family, we want to be known as a family who does the will of the Father. We want to be known as a family that advances the kingdom of our great king. So we thank you for the work, King Jesus, that you've done for the family. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit so that we can be people who do the will of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.